I've been steepening my feelings, I've been doing way too much I've been running around in circles trying to get back in touch With who I was before someone first tried to tell me Welcome to Feeling Soup. I'm Ellie here with my co-host Sam. This is a podcast where we talk about emotions and how they affect us and our relationships and how we show up uh, in our lives, in our communities. Um, Today we have an awesome guest that we're super, super excited about. Sam, do you want to introduce them? Yeah, I am so excited. Um, today we have KB Brookins on the podcast and KB is a black queer and trans writer, cultural worker and artist from Texas. Their work is featured in poets.org, HuffPost, Poetry Magazine, Teen Vogue. Basically they just write all the best things is what you need to know. Um, they have a chat book called how to identify yourself with a wound. They also have a full length poetry collection called freedom house and also a memoir coming out called pretty, um, just like a really amazing human being doing really amazing work and writing really, um, just like top tier work. Um, and just, yeah, they, they are amazing. Um, KB, do you want to tell, tell the people who you are, what you do, how you're, how you're showing up today? And also maybe if you want to, at the end of all of it, tell us what soup you most identify with. We would love to hear it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm happy to. Uh, Well, outside of, you know, professional stuff, I guess I am a cousin, a fiance, a friend, um, a really bad but like fun roller skating partner, um, a uh, I like swimming, even though I'm also bad at it. Um, And I don't know, I'm just regular, you know, outside of writing I'm a regular person who likes the outdoors and likes to like feel happy and be happy with other people. Um, and as far as soup goes, I'm thinking right now, because I recently had it, if it counts as a soup, maybe like a vegetarian chili. Um, and I say that because it's like an amalgamation of like everything one needs, right? You got usually celery in the mix. You got a nice, you know, vegetable broth. You got, you know, 
uh, mushrooms maybe are there, carrots are maybe there. Um, like I like that it's like everything's working together to make it a good time in your mouth, you know? <laughs> I love that. I feel like there's I love that. I feel like there's such a like argument of people are like, is chili a soup? And I am very much team. Let's start soup discourse. <laughs> I believe technically chili, I guess, would be a stew. I feel like stews can be soups, but soups can't necessarily be stews. Oh, are we getting into we don't some have hot to get into territory? <laughs> we don't have to get into it. I view soup as an umbrella, and many things can exist under that umbrella. I actually think that everything is either a soup or a salad, technically. Or a, or a sandwich. Yeah. Or a sandwich. <laughs> that's amazing oh i love that oh i also yeah i really appreciate naming you know you naming who you are outside of out of yeah uh, being a writer i think that's definitely something that um is like really important for us to to talk about and just um i love the first thing you say being cousin just like made me like oh that made my heart just like soar i love just like thinking about all the all the different ways that we show up in the world um yeah yeah i love that too you know like i like like who i am a lot of who i am is like how i relate to others and like i don't know writing as a practice almost is like a practice in relating to others as well this is one thing to like write and it's another thing to like share it with others once i share it with others then i'm like in a conversation with you even if i don't know who you is like even if we've never met we're still like talking so yeah I like I mean even though I consider myself like an introvert right but like I do like being in community with others yeah do you feel like you gravitated towards or started writing whenever you started in your life towards did you do you feel like you you gravitated towards writing as a relational thing as a community thing as opposed to um a creative practice or like a little bit of both was it that element of community and relationship about writing that drew you to it yeah yeah absolutely I mean I started writing literally because my friends were writers so like I was one of those people who like didn't have friends for a super long time because I was just like terribly awkward and um just knew that there was something quote-unquote different about me in comparison to my peers and that like I was trying to like quiet that a lot of times. So I just like wouldn't talk because I'm like, I'm too scared to like make myself known as the different one. And I think we start caring a lot about like whether or not we fit in, you know, around middle school and things like that. So I got my first like group of friends in ninth grade um, and all of them just happened to go to a poetry society. So basically like all of the like youth at my high school um me included like had parents that worked late we were all kind of like working class um in one way that you know the school had us like having something to do right if we weren't like an athletically inclined kid because usually athletics happened after school as well um they had this whole kind of like after school program so um yeah all of my friends just like chose the poetry thing and I was like, I want to go because I want to hang out with my friends. Like, I finally have friends, right? 
Um, and then I would just kind of like sit in the back and be like, well, they're doing this and I'm happy to hang out with them. Um, and then the, the teacher at that thing was just like, you can always participate. You don't have to, but you can always. And I was just like, yeah, okay. Um, I'm going to sit here and like journal or do whatever it is, uh, to, you know, pass the time while I wait on my friends to be done so we can like go do other stuff. Um, but then I was like, you know, why not participate? Cause I saw how much it helped my friends be able to like talk to each other and also be able to like work out, um, things that I felt like you couldn't really like talk about out loud. Um, it gave them that avenue to talk about like queerness, transness, um, romance, everything feels so intense. Also when you're like in high school and like in relationships or situationships. So it gave them also the opportunity to do that and like to fill in the gaps of like, like, I don't know, marginalized kids, uh, and like giving us an avenue to talk to each other. So then I was like, well, I definitely already journaled before I like wrote poetry. Cause I found journaling to be a useful exercise for like the, the internal dialogue I had that I didn't feel like I could say out loud. So then I was like, oh, this feels like similar to something that I already do. And then I tried it and I loved it because me and my friends could just like read poems to each other. And our teacher could give us, you know, these kind of like uh, craft elements of like what poetry is. Um, and it made it really fun. Um, and I don't know that I think that I came across poetry exactly how I needed to in order for it to appeal to me. It's just like, oh, you know, now I get to hang out with my friends and we get to have this thing that we do together um, that helps us like process life. Oh, wow. That's amazing. And like, what a special way to be introduced into poetry too. Cause I think a lot of people um, you know, get introduced to it in such a, like, or even just writing in general, like such an individual, like a yeah. kind of like solitude type of practice and to enter into like, into that community space, I think, like, also really shines through in the way that your work is out in the world now. Like, it's very evident that it's like, that that's kind of how it was, um, like created and born. And so that's, that's really special. Uh, I'm glad. Yeah. I mean, like there was never a time where I was like writing a poem just to myself, maybe like it kind of started as like a avenue through which to talk to people. And I hope that like even through the things that I write now, that was like, what, 12 years ago now when I started initially writing poetry. But I hope still today I keep, you know, really close to me that like I'm trying to validate the experiences of people who are similar to me. I'm also trying to reach out to people who are maybe not similar to me that want to get to know me and people like me more. And I think, you know, art is just a way that we can communicate that is different than that of like regular speech, like the way that we're talking right now. Um, And I think that because of that, art is very, uh, it's like positioned to do something that I think regular speech can't do, which is like appeal to people's minds, appeal to people's hearts. You know, of course, like there are, you know, great orators out there that can do that with regular speech. But um, poetry has like devices that I think um, allow for us to be able to talk to each other in ways that we otherwise can't and to say those things that I feel like are almost like forbidden to say like I feel like very much my poet self is like 
braver almost than my like regular speech self. Cause I'm like, well, I can say something and not get like, you know, <laughs> the FBI is knocking on my door um, in a poem versus like, you know, me tweeting. Cause you know, like we just live in a time where you can just tweet like, you know, fuck Joe Biden. And then all of a sudden, like somebody is knocking at your door. Right. So. Mm, yeah. And I was going to ask, like, do you think that being a writer and like um, being able to communicate some of those, um, you know, feelings, emotions, experiences in a poem, do you think that that like in the long term has equipped you to um, like approach in person like conversations um, like differently or has like has that influenced the way that you um, like interact in your relationships? Yeah, I'm curious. Hmm. Maybe like subconsciously, I think that sometimes, and I don't know, I mean, you're also a poet, so maybe you can tell me, but like, sometimes I write something and then I'm like, I didn't even know I felt like that for real, you know? Yes, all Uh, the time. Yeah, so like, I'm a person also when I like have conversations with people afterwards, I'll be like, I should have said that, you know? Um, so I still do that all the time, but I feel like my poet self is almost like a step ahead of me, um, Mm. at times. So So poetry feels like a place that you go to kind of also figure out what you're feeling and understand your feelings. I think so. Like to both validate those feelings and to like unearth them. Cause I think we live in a culture, especially that like wants us to damper down how we feel. And so almost like normalize some things that like are abnormal like you know on a political level a lot of things that are happening are very abnormal but also on like a capitalism level like I've been to so many jobs that are like take care of yourself but I'm like you don't really mean that you know because if you meant that then we would work less and if you meant that then we would have like free health care and if you meant that x y and z so like also when approaching poetry I think that is my place where I'm like, I'm going to sit down and whatever happens, happens. Like, I wish sometimes that I was one of those poets, but I think it's like better that I'm not one of those poets that are like, I'm going to write a poem about my dad. And they like know that when they sit down, but I'm very much a person that's like, anything, you know, could come out right now. And I think that's good for me because it allows me the opportunity to like think through some things. Yeah, I think that I'm definitely similar as a writer. I don't, I mean, there are maybe sometimes, like, maybe just when I write, like, when I was writing my book, like, I definitely, there were times where I was like, I probably, I need to write about this t- thing to, like, fill in the the gaps, I guess, of the narrative I'm trying to tell. But if I'm just, like, sitting down to write, like, I, I rarely come to the page with something in mind. So I think it, in a lot of ways, I'm very similar um, as a writer. And yeah, I, yeah, I don't know, Ellie, I'm curious what a what I know that Ellie is also a writer and a poet. So um, yeah, I'm curious what your experience is like in that. I, when I'm like really inspired, um, I can just sit down and whatever comes out, comes out. And then when I'm struggling with inspiration or motivation, I like really need prompts. I really need someone else to tell me, Hey, think about this thing this subject, this type of moment, this experience. And so it's not so much like having an idea of like, I'm going to write about this thing, but seeing whatever comes out around that specific topic. 
but mm-hmm. writing and, and poetry especially has definitely been like the main way in my life that I've sat down and figured out what the hell I'm feeling about something. I totally agree. I totally resonate with that idea of like your poet self being like a step ahead of you or mine feels like more like 10 steps ahead of me. My poetry almost feels like prophetic. Sometimes I'll like go back and see something that I wrote about a person or a topic or something and it was like years ago and I'm like, wow, I totally called out exactly how I was going to like go through that process or experience or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes in the moments I can think like, this is like not good. And then I'll like <laughs> look back at it like a year later or two years later. Like sometimes when I'm really like wrestling with something, when I'm like, something doesn't feel right about what I'm writing. Um I can look at it later with fresh eyes and be like, yeah, I feel like I needed to catch up to this in order to really write it. Um, And I think that almost writing is a practice in which I go to the page all like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to write this poem. And then it ends up being like a poem in which I'm exploring topics that almost feel like, oh, now I feel like I'm actually like doing what I thought I was going to do, like, I don't know, 30 minutes ago or something. Um, Or like, oh, I actually like thought this was going to be about my dad, but it ends up being about something else completely. Um, I like that poetry allows for that slippage of like, it doesn't have to be a beginning, middle, end kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually, I'm really curious because I've heard you say something a few times, and this is something I talk about with Sam a lot. In the beginning, you said something about how you are like, maybe, I can't remember if it was roller skating or swimming, you said you were like bad at. And then you just said something about how like sometimes you look at a poem and you're like, oh, that wasn't like as good as I wanted it to be, or that wasn't like what I wanted it to be. And I'm wondering like, where you learned kind of your standards for how you talk about yourself or think about yourself in terms of like good or bad. Cause it's something I hear people say a lot, especially marginalized people um, Mm -hmm. who, you know, are experiencing certain systems of, of oppression in their daily lives, like are so much harsher on themselves And so I'm wondering, like, where that feeling comes from for you or where that language comes from for you when you decide something is, like, good or bad or, like, up to your standards. Well, with roller skate, I'm literally like, can I stand up? Okay, if I can't stand up, (laughs) right? Like, that's a very easy uh, thing. Or with swimming, I'm like, okay, can I, you know, (laughs) can I stay above? Can I stay afloat? without like hyperventilating. Um, Like I think I'm more of a floater than I am a swimmer because I'm not about to like do laps with you. I'm more so like trying to chill with a floaty and like X, Y, and Z. So I'm like, it's not going to be given like Michael Phelps. Um, If I'm going swimming, it's like, I'm mostly floating. So just be ready for that. Uh, So that was just me being like, I like doing those activities and I don't feel pressure to like be good at them. And I think we got to have activities in our life that we don't feel like we got to be good at, quote unquote. Um, And then with poetry, I think it's more like when I say it's like bad, I don't know. I think it's like an intuitive thing versus like a set of standards. 
Um, like, I just know, like, I can't always explain, but I just like know when something is not like true. Maybe I feel like something is bad when it's not true. Um, as in like, I feel like I'm doing a thing where I'm like impressing somebody. Right. Or like, that's not what you were trying to say, or it doesn't sound like you. Yeah. Yeah. Where I'm like, oh, I just learned this new thing about poetry and I'm trying it out, but I'm like forcing the poem in a certain direction. Or like, I am like saying something because it's like easy versus like, it is actually true. Mm -hmm. And like, that's not to say all of my poems are autobiographical. They're definitely not. But I think that even if it's like in the world of this poem, this doesn't ring true, then I'm like, I got to put that aside because I don't maybe know what the truth is for that poem yet. Or like, I got to put this aside as in like, maybe I need to learn a bit more about myself or about like even the form. Like I've tried so many times to write a successful like Sistina, for instance. And I'm like, I just just can't do it. Or a sonnet. I've never written a sonnet that I like, like, and I want to write a sonnet in which Cause like to somebody else's eyes, maybe something that I've written might be like, oh, that's that's cool. But to me, I'm like, I know when I'm forcing it versus when I'm not. Like if it feels like I'm writing just to suffice the form, then I'm just not really doing what I need to be doing. And my goals as a writer really are like, you know, what is going to what is going to actually like move. You know, what is going to move me? What is going to move an audience? What is going to like galvanize someone into action? If it's not going to do any of those things and like, I don't really care about someone finding me to be smart. Like, I'm not trying to like impress academics. Um, And I mean, yeah, well, that goes back to what you said about it being something relational. Like there are some people who do writing just because they want a certain status or they want people to think something specific of them. And then I think it's it's like a very different specific practice when like you do it for community, you do it for yourself, and you do it to like move through something with others. Yeah, and like making myself useful for the times that we're living in. I'm just not, not really trying to like live in a bubble or like have my uh, poetry live in a vacuum where it's like, oh, this may mean something to like the the journal in which I'm submitting it to or this may mean something to like me I'm like okay if it just means something to me and only me I'm wondering why in which I need to like make it public um and also I'm wondering why sometimes you know I I don't like when I have the impulse to like impress if that makes sense so that feels like I'm giving that a value judgment because I'm like, I, I'm not a poet and I find it very silly. The idea of someone getting into poetry because they want status. Cause I'm like, there are much easier ways to get status. Yeah. Um, you're putting yourself through a lot for, I feel like very little gain. So maybe find something else to do. Um, unless you like go to the, you know, Rupi Kaiora things, but like, that's really one person <laughs> that's been able to figure that out. Um, so yeah, I think it's like, so what am I doing really? And why am I doing this? And if I can't like answer that question, then I'm like, eh. let me put that down um, while I, as a person, do what I need to do in order to figure it out. I think that's like a really important distinction too, of like having that self-awareness around that is like 
so much of like such a muscle that like takes practice too. And, and I think that that, um, yeah, just sounds like that, that that's a muscle that you've practiced a lot over, over a period of time. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, uh, a little while ago, you kind of talked about like the way that, that things like shift and, and change, um, like over time and like looking back on a piece of writing, um, and, and kind of like, um, yeah, even like returning back to, to a piece of writing and being like, you know, that, that I feel differently about that now, or like, you know, just so many ways that, that time can, can impact, uh, what we write. And, um, something I've been thinking a lot about, especially with Missouri is going through a lot of, um, you know, well, the entire country, but, uh, Missouri, is going through some anti-trans legislation, um, you know, stuff going on with our attorney general being who he's being. <laughs> um, there, there is some hope in the way that the legal case is going, but all of that to say is that it has brought up some stuff for me about like um, what it means to be from someplace. And especially, you know, I did live in Texas, but I do consider like the Midwest to be my home and someplace that I really would like to stay. But there was a lot of big conversations about, um, you know, what it looks like for trans people to, to leave, uh, for their safety and for their, their livelihood and, and survival. And, um, I think a little, uh, a little over a year ago, you wrote a piece for Autostraddle, um, called I'm trans and I'm not leaving Texas. Um, and I'm kind of curious about how your feelings have changed if at all, uh, around that piece. And, you know, I know that so much over the last year has happened, um, in anti-trans legislation, but, um, yeah, I'm just curious about, about your feelings about home, especially as you're, you know, preparing to get married in the place that you consider your home and, and just what, um, what maybe some of the feelings are that, that come up with that when you reflect on, on that piece that, um, you know, was, I guess it was published over a year ago, so I'm sure it was written before that, but yeah. I mean, I think that piece was written in the midst of what we're still seeing, right? Like anti-trans legislation. And now it's actually become a lot more widespread. Like 44 out of 50 states right now have at least one piece of legislation that is anti-trans in nature that they're, um, the, you know, um, the statewide like government is trying to push and make law. And I think that that's fueled by a lot of things, right? It's not actually the majority I don't believe it to be, and I've seen statistics on this, like it's not like reputable sources, not just like YouTube links, like the alt writers, but like um, most of Americans don't have a problem with trans people. Um, I think that this is a uh, minority that is spreading a lot of misinformation, like a minority group of people that is spreading a lot of misinformation, um, but nonetheless a minority group of people that have a lot of power in like our political and legislative bodies. So therefore, you know, we're seeing all of this kind of like this wave of hatred uh, coming through the states. And my whole thing is, I think that I wrote that piece because Every time that uh, Texas has um, individuals that try to pass anti-trans legislation, I I feel like um, there's just in general in literary community and like in the U.S. in general like an anti-Southern sentiment, um, and it's as if the North can't like look at themselves mm-hmm. and see uh, all of the like negative things that are also happening in the North. I'm like y'all are trying to nuke homeless people. Y'all love cops. Like, it's a lot of stuff that I could say about L.A. and New York and, you know, Chicago, et cetera. Right. Yeah, um, absolutely. 
So it feels as if like you're judging us, um, but what you got going on is also like not good. Um, I think that we're living in a time in which like we're realizing that, oh, the political, the way that we do politics in the U.S. is not fair, right? Um, And it's also fueled by basically five businesses, right? Um, Like businesses, large businesses basically run the whole country. They're lobbying people to do certain things because I honestly think that a lot of people who are pro-gun are not even actually pro-gun. They are just bought off by the NRA, right? Um, So with that being said, I wrote that piece being like, hey, please stop trying to tell me to leave Texas as if wherever I go as a black trans person is not going to be like in the U.S. is not going to be to some degree like a threat on my life. Right. right? It's like choosing the lesser of two evils. Um, And I think also stop telling queer and trans people to do that, because also we outnumber very significantly like the bullies at the Capitol. Right. Um, And they've been moving in certain ways because they know that we outnumber them. Um, And I think that Texas is as much as my home as it is Greg Abbott's, as it is Dan Patrick's. Mm -hmm. And I have every right to stay here just as much as they do. Um, So, And also put in the work to making community safer there. I think there's like really something to be said about like, leaving versus like investing in home and investing in people around you and and figuring out how to like help the people who maybe like don't have the option to leave or like you're saying shouldn't have to right right it's a very privileged standpoint um because a lot of us very much don't have the money to just up and leave like do you know how much moving costs do you know how precarious it is to get a job right now like you know um so instead of uh you know compelling or telling people to uproot their entire lives and what feels you know comfortable to them because right i'm in texas but i'm in a city that has a lot of things that i feel like liberal cities don't have you know like at any point i can you know be booked for a show with drag queens and also musicians and also comedians because the queer community is so like tight-knit here and i miss that about like that don't exist in a lot of liberal cities you know and i like that i know you know every owner of indie bookstores here i like that i like have a level of like relatability to the people around me. Um, and I mean, it it gets hard to continue to feel that way, especially when there are moments where, you know, we take multiple steps forward and then get pushed back. Like, you know, last week there was someone, you know, at the Texas Capitol who got, you know, attacked by a like state troopers and state troopers have really been like just everywhere in my local city. Um, So we just got a new mayor who is very pro cop, who is also liberal, a lot of liberal um, folks, um, mayors in like liberal cities right now are very pro cop. Um, So it's just like, you know, it, it, it gets hard to feel the same. Um, 
but I think that there's, I've been able to make a home in Texas and I would like to be able to stay here and I would like to be able to assist the people that are not for as fortunate as me here. And I think that I don't, I don't think that the right course of action is like, oh, times are hard. Let's just like abandon the trans kids who are getting their rights stripped away. Let's just abandon the trans people of color who are getting uh, attacked on multiple fronts for like anti-DEI stuff as well as anti-trans stuff. Let's like not do that, right? Um, and I understand people leaving on the, on the like same kind of note. So it's like, I don't know. Will I stay here forever? I don't know if I can answer that, but I am staying here for the time being. Um, And I feel like I would rather people not define Texas by its, you know, governor. Because I'm like, how would you feel if people thought every American was exactly like Donald Trump while he was in office? Like, how would you feel about that? Right? Um, Because that's not actually true. And we know that's not true. Yeah. So... If you don't, if you haven't been to Texas, if you don't actually know what the everyday lives of Texans are and who Texans are, I think it's just like, just like be quiet and like listen to the local organizers and like listen to what people on the ground are actually telling you that they need, be in solidarity, right? Um, Because we don't want to run back a situation where it's like, oh, you know, slavery is happening in the South, but the North, we're just not going to do anything about it. I'm like kind of done with that. It clearly is a thing that doesn't happen. It like doesn't help, right? Um, It makes conditions in which, right, reproductive rights can get taken away, right? Because you're just like ignoring the South at like acting as if it doesn't exist. Um, So yeah, I mean, that's how I felt then. This is how I feel now, how I feel in two years. I can't really say, Yeah. 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 It's, I always, you know, even moving from Texas, like back to Missouri, like, and it's, it's interesting how the, the difference, like so much of the politics in, in Missouri is like so similar to Texas, but like people don't talk about Missouri in the same way that they do Texas or the South in general. And I find that really like, uh, like really fucked up. <laughs> like I was going to say really interesting, but interesting is not the correct word. Like it's, it's just, I don't know. It's something I, I think a lot about. Um, Cause yeah, our, our governor and our senators are like, you know, equally as terrible um, in a lot of ways. And I just think a lot about like, I, I I'm really struck by the, um, the thing you said around, you know, Texas is just as much as your home as it is Greg Abbott's. And like, in some ways, like, like, you know, yes. And I also think that like, to me being a part of like creating home, like so much means like creating like safety and connection for other people. And so there's something like maybe a little petty and angry inside my body. That's like, I don't, want someone like Greg Abbott to feel like, you know, Texas is his home. Like, I think so much of that just comes from a sense of power on his, on his end. Um, but obviously there are like, you know, other people who support him that are in the same boat. But I, I just think a lot about like how we define home and like how I think about home is so much more than just like where we were born and where we come from, but like more so how we contribute to the communities that we're a part of and like how we create um, yeah, like safety with one another and like long-term 
sustainable like connections um yeah and just like you were saying kb like how you know the the people who run your local indie bookstores and how you know you have relationships with all the people um where you live and you've like spent time intentionally building that community and especially when people are afraid or feeling powerless or hopeless like why would you leave each other? Why would you split up instead of, you know, rooting together in something that you have spent time and energy maintaining and building? Yeah, I'm just like, I don't understand the impulse of uh, telling people to, yeah, split up um, in moments where we actually very much need solidarity. And I think that um, there's an organization here locally, Equality Texas, has really been doing a good job of, like, really banding us together and leading us to, like, how we can be more useful mm-hmm. for, you know, to, to upend or to to respond to anti-trans legislation and i really wish that people in the north were like paying attention to what is happening in like southern states because it's like this very much could be you you're like one election away from that being you actually um and also i think that i was also like just very annoyed when i was writing that of like trying to tell us or trying to tell southern states trying to tell texas like what we need to be doing in order to get Free because it's like you don't actually know what the makeup of our Texas House of Reps looks like. Right. You don't know what power they have to actually like brutalize us when we do these kind of like more so direct action things that may be fine to do in New York. But like, no, you know, people can just be like standing still and protesting here and like get, you know, charged for a felony. So it's like just like listen to what people are saying locally. And I think that despite all of what's happening, these things are not so, these things are not as unchangeable as the right would like you to believe. And that is why they still have to spread misinformation. You know, they still have to work overtime in order to convince people to come to their side. Therefore, you know, there's still very much room for um, something new to be unearthed um, amongst all of their chaos and amongst all of the chaos on the left too. I will say like, you know, it is not all peachy there. A lot of, you know, left sentiments. I don't necessarily like, I would consider myself more so far left at this point. You know, I'm not, I don't really have a lot in common with like, you know, people who want to invest more in like the mental health of cops, for example, so it's just like, you know, it's a lot to be done, but that doesn't mean it it still can't be done in Texas or elsewhere. Yeah. And um something something that I'm thinking about is like as you're talking about um investing in home, investing in relationships, um especially the more radical ones of people organizing and banding together when all of these like really um, challenging, uncomfortable feelings come up about what is happening politically that threatens your, you know, personal safety and well-being, um, and you're in community with so many other marginalized people, um, when you need to to talk through these things 
with someone and and figure out how to navigate it, figure out how to even just hold all of these difficult feelings. Um, who who are the people you go to to help you process? Um, I know you talked about being, you know, like a cousin and a family member. You've talked about being a community member in a lot of ways. Um, who do you go to and how do you process these difficult things with others? Yeah, I mean, I definitely rely on the people that I call family. When I say family, right, I mean like chosen family. Unfortunately, I wish there was like a bit more understanding in like, quote unquote, blood relatives, but that is not necessarily there. So I definitely um, rely and lean on, you know, the people that I talk to every day um, in group chats and otherwise. Uh, My partner is very understanding. Um, Also, you know, I'm in therapy and I think it's really important for us to like talk about, you know, things that help us out mental health wise. Uh, I also rely and I have been like since I was like seven or something. Um, my parents are just like, you know, you got a lot of big emotions. So maybe you need to like have a diary and like <laughs> I still like journal, you know, when I feel um, big feelings. So, yeah, I mean, I think that the people around me who understand, right, the people in Texas who are also living through the same times I'm living through, we can be a sounding board for each other. Um, Cause some days it's hitting me harder than, you know, others and, and other days, you know, my friends are a bit more weary than I am and we can all just like talk about it um, and help each other with the things that we can control and with the things that we can't control, you know, assist others who are working to fix those things. Cause there are always people um I try not to slip into apathy or like helplessness because there are very much people who are on, you know, the front lines and at the Capitol every single day doing like 12 plus hour shifts, trying to make it so our voices are heard. Um, I submit testimonies regularly at this point, um, written testimonies because I can't always make it to the Capitol due to my busy schedule, you know, to folks at Equality Texas, to folks at the Trans Education Network of Texas and try to support them, you know, monetarily or like boosting their stuff on social media as much as I absolutely can because it's important um, that I do that. And like, it's important that me as an artist, I try to, you know, get my workout that is talking about these things um, to people who have more means than me and have more time than me um, and that hopefully galvanize them into doing something. Um, really, I'm like, I feel like I'm, I'm doing my job best as a poet when I'm like getting people to do something, whether it be, you know, buy this book and like gift it to another trans person or buy this book and like have their feelings validated or, you know, buy this book and then they like donate $50 to, you know, tent or whatever. I I don't think I'm like doing my job really if I'm not like talking about what's happening and talking about and getting people to get, you know, tapped into what's happening as well. Uh, yeah, I think that's such an important part of like something that I, I think sometimes artists uh, and even writers like aren't always participating in like, uh, like a lot of the artists I know do just because I think that's like, you know, the community that that 
I and, and I, we are, are kind of a part of, but, um, you know, so much about like writing and, and just like art in general is, is, you know, like it is political. And so to like, not then, um, interact with those politics and, and take action and amplify. It's like, it just doesn't feel, um, it like feels really empty to me. Um, and so, yeah, I really appreciate you, um, naming that. Um, I think something that like Ellie and I've been talking a lot about is like, um, this idea of like how we, like how our feelings manifest and, um, like so much about, um, you know, Ellie and I were talking about, you know, like sometimes like we will cry to like, you know, kind of process some of these feelings whenever we don't, uh, like can't do it like verbally or, or through writing or, um, you know, maybe we'll like some people, you know, like have to wiggle their body. I saw somebody do a whole video about just like wiggling to, um, you know, regulate their nervous system and, and just like other forms of stimming and, and all those things. So I'm kind of curious, um, you know, with all of these, these things and just like, you know, the world that we live in, like, how do, um, these feelings like present themselves to you, like in your body and like, how do you interact with them? Like, do you find that you like, do you like, you know, is crying something that you, you know, experience or like maybe laughing or, um, like maybe like sometimes for me, if I have a big feeling, like I just have to be silent and sit with it for like a probably too long of a time. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just curious about how, how maybe some of these feelings like manifest for, for you. Yeah. I mean, when I'm my best self, right. Cause I'm like, there's a answer in which that is true more than I'd like it to be, which is like, I'm going to lay down and I'm going to go to bed. Um, but <laughs> when I'm like a bit better about like taking care of myself, I think when those feelings present themselves, I like, yeah, sometimes I like also have to be silent and just like not shoo it away. Um, Cause I think that, that was maybe, and I, it took a long time for me to not do that of like when a feeling came up to shoo it away. Cause it was just like a lot of forces where it's like, I'm going, 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 and I don't have time to think about that. But now I, I try to make time. Like if I'm not in a good headspace, I'm not going to like force myself through the day. I'm going to be like, all right, I need to um, rely on the things that I know that can help. Right. And for me, like body movement, unfortunately, like when those people are like, oh, you depressed because you're not exercising. Unfortunately, that is true for me. Like I really do have to (laughs) I really do have to move around in order to feel good. And I feel the difference after I do it versus like those days when I stay in bed. I'm like, why am I so fucking sad? And it's like, oh, because I like haven't left the bed. Um, So getting out and like really actually moving helps me a lot especially like running even though it's not (laughs) something that like feels like at times the hardest thing about working out is just like starting but once I start it it's like okay great um because like and this is maybe like a man thing quote-unquote or like a masculine thing but like a lot of times I think my my feelings first manifest as anger. Like I don't actually like know that I'm feeling away until I'm just like 
irritable or like like mad in general. And then when I actually have the time to like chill for a minute, like, oh, I'm mad about like X thing. And it's like why I got so mad about, you know, that other thing that wasn't as big. Uh, but in order to really like move through anger, I think I have to be moving my body. So like if I'm angry and I go on a run, I'm like all of a sudden I'm not cured, but I'm definitely better. <laughs> um, and also, yeah, soundboarding with others. Like when I can soundboard with others, when I can like just have a friend that can listen. Um, and usually my friends are pretty good about this. Like, oh, do you want me to listen or do you want me to give you perspective or advice? Mm. Them being able to honor that um, has been very like useful for me. Sometimes I'm like, this feels like I could be wrong. And just having somebody else to be like, that is a valid emotion um, can be super, super helpful in like moving through something. And then also having someone that's not me give me like perspective of like, this is not an unsolvable issue. Here are some ways that you can go about it also is very helpful. Um, but of course there are unsolvable things like, oh, this you know bill is up for, you know, the Senate bill number, whatever, is up for legislation. And I really can do a very limited number of things to change that, right? Like I can go to the, I can, you know, tap in with Equality Texas and like see what they're saying to do. I can submit a written testimony. I can, you know, register my public opinion to say I oppose this. But like after that, right, what else can I do? And in those moments, I really rely, I think, on my community and on therapy and because my therapist always is like giving me vantage points that I would not think of otherwise um, to move through certain emotions. What is something that has been um, helping you feel through that anger and like frustration and the, the really difficult feelings lately? What's something that's maybe helped you feel through that and like experience joy um or 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 other feelings that help you get through those difficult ones yeah um I think that like I was saying probably like talking to friends and I also don't always like to find a silver lining in things I think that can like sometimes be counterproductive like there is no silver lining in like legislation it just is what it is right um, so being able to recognize when that's appropriate and when it's not, I think is useful. And then when it is appropriate to be like, okay, all is not lost. Cause I mean, I am a person with anxiety and sometimes I can feel like in moments where it's not like everything is going to shit like, Oh, you know, maybe I'm just, maybe I just didn't get the ice cream I needed that day. It's like not the end of the world, <laughs> but like having somebody else to talk to about that some days is like really, really useful. And also being able to allow myself to have downtime is very key for me. Um, And allowing myself to have time where I'm doing fun things like swimming or roller skating or going to a show Um, tonight, even though I'm on tour and my like schedule is very complicated. Like I do try to make time to like go on a weekly date with my fiance and like this week we're going to Paramount to see Billy Porter and I'm really excited about it. So just also making time to do stuff like that is really important. Oh, 
That's so fun. I love that. I love I love to date my <laughs> husband. So I very much I feel like so many people like I don't know, one of the like biggest pieces of advice I got whenever I like got married was like make sure you still date the person you're married to and like that's something that we like very much still try to like I mean we don't even try to do it we do do it you know um just because like I love to go on a date and get any reason to dress up and go on a date yes please (laughs) staying staying present and staying intentional and like building a relationship as opposed to just assuming that like it exists it's there it's done yeah yeah, because people start to get not interested when they think you're not interested. Like, you are never going to get to a point where you, like, completely know everything there is to know about your partner because people also change over time. So staying curious, I think, is very important to me. And also maybe because I've just watched enough, like, movies to where, like, people get divorced because, <laughs> you know, husband, <laughs> that husband just stops asking questions or stops, like, putting in effort to like build a relationship because you're always building a relationship even when you're married even when you've been with a person and been living with them well living with them doesn't necessarily count as a date right like people like to feel special people like to feel like you want to learn more about them and people like to feel like your relationship with them is important friends or otherwise so I try to you know make sure that you know before we get married, Gabby is not giving me some divorce papers and being like, oh, <laughs> you're just not interested in me anymore. <laughs> how, how do you, oh my God, Sam is like dying. <laughs> the divorce papers before the wedding. I literally feel like that's you've been served. I was like, oh God. Yeah. It's, that was like one of my biggest fears. I was like, oh God, what if, what if it doesn't happen? <laughs> like, yeah. But, uh, how, how do you and your partner stay curious and intentional with each other, like in in your relationship? Well, I think that having opportunities to learn more things about Gabby, I think is important. Um, like we try to go on dates that are not the exact same dates every time. I mean, we definitely have our staples. Like we do like to go to the movies and we'll do that pretty regularly. And we do like to roller skate and we'll do that pretty regularly but like oh we haven't gone well I'll never go ziplining I don't know why that came in my head um but oh we haven't done a day date in San Antonio or something like that like we try to do different things when we're put in different scenarios I think it's an opportunity to learn something different about each other and then also just like I don't know. Like if it ever presents, if the opportunity ever presents itself, I'm just like, so like, how was your day? Or like, how, if I like notice her doing something that I haven't seen her do before, it's like, I didn't know you did that. Um, Or like, I don't know. I think I've maybe recently learned that she was like really good at something that I didn't know that she like even did because we just hadn't, there are so many things that you just like haven't learned about someone. Um, and it's like, oh yeah, well I played the violin in like high school and like blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah. well, how, how else was I supposed to know that? Cause we don't have a violin at home. Right. right. Um, so, you know, just continuing to do new things and continuing to ask questions. I mean, like when I first met her, 
um, which maybe sounds really uh, unhinged of me, but uh, probably like within maybe three weeks of knowing her, I was just like, I want to make this like (laughs) document of questions. I'm a Virgo, by the way, but I was like, want to make this long document of questions that I want to ask her because I never want to like run out of questions to ask. I do that with like everyone I love. It's a great thing to do. I'm not a Virgo, but that is a great thing to do. I'm obsessed with that. Oh my God. (laughs) I mean, so much about it is just like also like paying attention to just like the little Mm -hmm. things that like, sometimes DJ will do something and I'm like, tell me more about that. (laughs) Please, like, I want to know more what like thought process happened in your brain. And then I like end up learning that he doesn't have an inner dialogue. And then we have a whole conversation about that. And then I'm like, okay, well, you are not the person that I thought you were, but I love it even more. Like, it's just like, so there's just like so much room to like be uh, like, I don't know. It's like, yeah, curious and just like noticing. And yeah, that's my favorite part about being married. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I recently learned that Gabby is not a person that like pictures things like, yeah I was like how must one live that way like I don't know when someone's telling me a story I just imagine a whole like image in my head and I recently learned that she doesn't do that and I'm like oh how do you maybe that's why we like read differently for example yeah like read novels because I'm like I'm just like you know full of information my will is like full to its capacity after I read like five pages, but she can like read a whole novel in like a day. And I'm like, well, maybe that's why you have the capacity to to do that. Cause now I'm just like, Oh, someone died. Someone died in my head. Like (laughs) it's a whole thing. (laughs) This whole character, this with a face and like with three dimensionality has, you know, now done something in my head. So that, yeah, I'm like the same. Same. I do not have the picture thing and it's hard for me to read novels because I can't get like interested because I can't create the world in my head. And so it's oh my just- God, no, when someone is like even telling me a story and like, I need to ask them like, okay, I need, can you tell me this person's name? Can you tell me more about this person? Cause I need to be able to like build that in my head to like understand the story. No, if someone tells me like, oh, I fell on a banana today. I'm imagining them falling. Like I will see it. <laughs> and that'll make it that much funner because I saw it in my head, yeah. you know? Wow. That's fascinating. I love, <laughs> this is the, this is the type of stuff I love. And like, I think is so exciting about like, yeah, just like being in relationship, like platonic or romantic or whatever it is, like just like being curious about a person and learning about how they function and, um, Yeah, I think something, you know, we don't have to like touch on this for too long, but I am curious about how like getting married feels and um, like talking about your wedding. And, um, you know, I I know like I personally had a lot of complicated feelings about like marriage as a, you know, state institution and all those things and like whether or not that was something I wanted to participate in, but like ultimately it ended up being something I did. So anyway, like, yeah, I'm just curious about like your feelings about it and and something that you're really excited about um during you know the process and and getting up you know approaching the the date so soon of course yeah I mean well I didn't really know if marriage was really in the cards for me because like 
as a queer person that grew up around a whole bunch of like straight people, like I just didn't have like a quote unquote queer community right until probably college. Cause like all of my friends who were my friends in high school all are like queer, but like we didn't all know that at the time. So it's like, yeah, I did have that, but like we didn't have, we weren't empowered to be like out quote unquote. So I didn't have that kind of community until college and like just learning more about the institution of marriage. I was just like, yeah, these are traditions that I feel like I've always like not fit into, like since I had my and developed my own personality. I've just not really been a person that adheres to tradition. So for that reason, I like resisted the idea for a very long time. I'm like, why we can't just be in a relationship? Why we got to get like legal, whatever. Like, (laughs) so I think about like the person I was like five years ago and I very much would have probably been a little judgy towards like who I am now. But now that I am who I am now and I've been through a pandemic and I've like found someone that I really like care about, um, I feel differently. Well, actually what changed my mind about it, I think was like looking up the kind of legal protections. Cause I think a lot about like, damn, is it going to be like illegal to be myself in a couple years in the U S cause it's very possible. And like, also because I don't have like lots of ties to my blood family, like what's going to happen to me when I die, I want to be able to have like a partner that has a say so in that. Um, because I also have like lived long enough to have friends die. Right. And then like, if they're queer and their family was not like a fan of that particular aspect of them, then all of a sudden it feels like you're memorializing someone who like you didn't even know. Um, and that can be like even more painful for the people who are grieving. Right. So I've been through, you know, situations where, you know, I've gone to a funeral of a queer person and their family. It's just like, we're not acknowledging that. And et cetera. And I just don't want that experience for any of my friends, you know, whenever um, that time comes. And I don't know. I was just thinking a lot about mortality, probably like in the early pandemic, like everybody else was right. Um, The earlier parts of the pandemic and also thinking about like, I feel like the federal government really wants you to get married also because you do not have a lot of protections as like a non-married person. I'm not a fan of that. I feel like it's BS. Um, And I was like a domestic partnership, really. The protections for that feel very faint in comparison to the protections that a married person would get. And then there are all these tax incentives, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, from a like legal standpoint, I think this probably just makes sense if we're like planning on being cohabitated and planning on being in a long-term relationship. Um, And then I'm just like, I don't really need the validation of a party. Um, for he's really nice, though. Yeah, exactly. So, like, I'm like, I do like the excuse yeah. of being able to have a party, and it's like about me, yeah, um, my partner, because a lot of things in in the world are not about me and my partner. So, I do like that part of it, and the gifts, you know, that's nice. Um, I saw something recently where someone was like, we need like people need to have registries just for like any reason. And I like am very much like literally we just need to normalize having parties and registries for any situation ever. (laughs) I think we should just give each other gifts when we see something that we're like, oh, I'd love to give this gift to this person. That is one of my biggest practices in my life. Literally, I'll just see something that reminds me of someone. I'll be like, oh, I'm going to get this for them just because yeah Yeah, my partner's dad does that a lot and like I think when I first met him and realized that he like every time he sees 
my partner and her sister, he like gives them a gift. And I found that to be like so weird. <laughs> At first I was like, why do you do this? And it's like, oh, well, that's actually kind of nice. Um, so I think about that too. I'm like, why do I have to have a baby or get married in order for you to give me a gift? Um, and right. Like, like, why do we have to get married in order to like have big gatherings with so many of the people we love? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think about that a lot. Something the day, like after, so like the two to three months following my wedding, I actually had like the biggest depression that I fell into because I was like, so devastated that this thing that I was so excited about and like had been planning for and just put so much energy towards was like now over. And Mm -hmm. I was like, what if I never get to gather with all of my friends again? Like, what if this, like, I was so like, I was like, I'm supposed to be so happy right now. And I was actually so depressed and I felt so bad, but I was like, yeah, so I'm just always thinking about, like, what does it, like, you know, maybe for, like, our five-year anniversary, we'll have a five-year anniversary party, you know, of just, like, all of the, all of this, like, friends coming together and, like, celebrating, because it's, like, we don't do that enough, like, there's not enough, I just, I think that, like, we just need to gather more, and, like, having a wedding was just, like, a really big eye-opening experience of that for me, especially after being, like, isolated so much from the pandemic, I was, like, what if this never happens again? Like I need to prioritize that now. And yeah, it, like it sucked that it took that to like really notice it. But a wedding for me was like a big thing about that. But anyway, that that's my. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I kind of blame capitalism, right? So like a lot of times in order to go to weddings, in order to go to baby showers, we like take off time from work and like we can't really do that because workplaces are set up to where we can't do that like we have a limited amount of time we can take off right and that like same bank of time that we take off to like oh we're sick or oh we have a vacation planned or oh we have some kind of significant event like it runs out right like pretty quickly and a lot of us like don't even work jobs where we have like a significant amount of vacation time. So I think that is one part of it. Like it's really hard to wrangle uh, people from all kind of different places in your life in one place without, you know, them having to put their lives on hold. Totally. Um, but I also like think it is some like validity to like us not being such work centric people. But I think that takes like, j- like literally things like capitalism changing Um, Because the culture, you know, in the nation that we live in is the way that it is because of the way that capital moves and doesn't move, I feel. So, yeah, sorry to bring it down. but (laughs) (laughs) No, No, not at all. I actually think that kind of like ties into another question that we wanted to talk about, which is, um, is there a way, is there any way that like we because you you've been rightfully so talking shit about capitalism (laughs) um but I also think that there are like so many ways I know that there are so many ways that um capitalism and like restriction um on like how we use language or how we talk about things like you know, being good or bad or being worthy or whether they're productive or like whatever. There are so many things, ways that we talk about things that are like not constructive. Are there any things specifically like with the way that we talk about feelings um, in our society 
um, or certain people's feelings or anything that feels like really not helpful or constructive. I read this article recently uh, that was like, like, I think we're using like professional language to get out of like hard conversations. Like, oh, I don't really like. (laughs) Oh, yeah, we talked about this. Yeah. Yeah, I think that it's like just become like painfully obvious to me that people are like so scared to offend or like so scared of like being, you know, cancelable or something like that to like just have one potentially awkward conversation. I worry about that a lot Um, because it's like if you don't feel like you can express how you genuinely feel to anybody that's going to like build up and not be good for you and not be good for any of your friends because they don't actually like know how you are. Um, And that hinders their ability to connect with you. Um, How do you in your life approach difficult or uncomfortable conversations with people where you're like worried that they're, that it's going to cause conflict or, or rifts between you in situations like that? I mean, for me, I think that conflict is an opportunity to go closer to somebody so I don't run away from it. Generally, um, if someone does something, you're right, that hurts my feelings, I think that's an opportunity for them to, like, not hurt my feelings in the future. And, like, also, if someone tells me something I did hurt their feelings, then, like, yeah, that's an opportunity for me to be a better friend to them and for me to be a better person in general. I mean, like, you know... More recently, I think I like shared a meme or something that was like maybe uh, like hurtful to one of my friends. And they like expressed that to me. And I was like, I I appreciate you for being like vulnerable enough to express that, you know. And I also now know there's this whole like community of people that I could be potentially offending by posting stuff like that. So now I can be a better, you know, ally to said community. And, you know, I feel like it's it's very regular <laughs> to do stuff like that in my life. Um, and I think my closest friends are friends that I've been able to just, like, move through conflict with. Like, we are not exactly like anybody else. So I feel like it's inevitable that we uh, we, like, have conflict at some point with the people around us. And I think it says a lot about where that relationship stands of, like, can y'all get over this conflict? Is there anything specific that you and friends or family, close people in your life do to help each other feel safe and connected and seen in those moments? Yeah, I mean, I think we just like give each other respect and dignity. Like, I respect you enough to not yell at you. I respect you enough to not you know, make any like unfair judgments of your character or like who you are as a person in these moments. I respect you enough to like not post about it on social media before we've like figured it out. Um, Cause I think that the hierarchy of uh, conflict, I think has been just very warped because of social media. You know, I've been like subjected to, and especially cause I'm in the queer community, just like, I'll just be scrolling and all of a sudden know about like everybody's conflict. And I'm like, really, this could have stayed between y'all, you know? And I think that um, because of the moment in which we're living in, um, people jump 
steps and then like jump immediately to like I need to post publicly about this person who like at the end of the day does not like hold a position of power um to like make my grievance heard and I'm just like yeah or you got this person's number and you can text them you know and like I try to give my friends the benefit of the doubt and I try to be honest with them in moments where I like don't agree with something that they do because I think that that makes us better friends and that makes us better people. And I want to surround myself with people who are trying to be better people. Um, and if you're trying to be a better person, I think you also got to be able to receive, right? Like feedback. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I think we, I love that. I think we have a couple more questions for you and something I want to pivot into um, before we kind of offer a little wrap up question is, um, you know, you've been, really going hard on the book promotion process. You are really, um, you know, you have set this goal for yourself to, to you know, sell a hundred books and, and, and counting. And, um, you know, I even saw you talk on Twitter a little bit about just like kind of um, like how hard like the book promotion process is and, um, and just like kind of what all of that feels like. And, and so I'm curious about like how, um, like what have been like the, like, what does the emotional landscape look like for you while navigating the book promotion process? And also like, I would love, um, for you to just talk about your book a little bit and even, um, you know, talk about pretty a little bit, give you an opportunity to, um, yeah, talk about that. And yeah, I'm just interested in in the whole process. Yeah, for sure. So I got a book coming out on June 6th called Freedom House. It is a book of poems. Um, it is about me navigating and defining what um, personal, interpersonal, and systemic freedom means to me. Um, it delves into themes such as blackness, transness, climate change, um, reproductive rights, um, really like large issues that are kind of plaguing us today. Um, and it also makes a case for like, in order for you to be free in order for any of us to be free we have to like find what and define what freedom means to us um i've been able to like get a sense of freedom through like my personal medical transition which i chronicle through that book um and i've also been able to like just learn more about systemic issues and how those interfere with like how we navigate friendships and romantic relationships um and then also like being able to have a voice in like denormalize, you know, things like police brutality or things like systemic racism. So, yeah, I mean, it's just me trying to build a metaphorical house of freedom and talking about what needs to happen in order for that to, in in order for that house to be built. Um, And I mean, book promotion for any book is like, I'm trying to grab your attention, even though like a million other things online are trying to grab your attention, right? Like I can't open TikTok and not like get an ad for something in the first like three scrolls. I can't open Twitter and not see like the the very um, boneheaded like billionaire that runs that app, like in him messing it up somehow and like trying to sell us something, right? Um, so it's like, all these algorithms that you're like working with and working against sometimes in order to have your work be seen. And then like in the IRL space, it's like presenting yourself and also presenting the book 
And I'm like a rather introverted person, so it's hard for me at times to like keep my energy upbeat enough to like. So I know you have to like me because of our like relationship that we have like with artists. I think like from a consumer standpoint, people want to like you as a person as in order to like your work. Um, so that you know aspect of it has been very interestingly challenging. Um, in some regards, I love performing. Um, so I like that I'm able to do that. I like that I'm able to talk to people about the book and, you know, I, I post online about like the difficulties that come with book promotion. Cause I know that a lot of, you know, my mutuals and followers are like book people themselves. We are such a like close knit community of people that write and sell books. And I think it's important to like, know because like a lot of this information feels so like, gatekept for some reason like the business side quote unquote of being a writer because like a lot of people want you to like to lead you to believe all you have to do is write it's like nah you gotta write and also submit to competitions and also like submit individual poems to these publications and also like get in front of your book and read it like you wrote it and like sell it to people like it's just so many other things that go into being author right so I like to talk about those things online and be a resource to people because I mean I had to learn a lot of this by trial and error and I'd rather not everybody especially marginalized writers go about it that way I think that's why um lit the literary scene literary publishing is as white as it is um because those things are being gay kept from the most of us right um so yeah I mean it's challenging but I also think it's like I'm gonna do whatever it is that I have to do in order for my book to do the things that I wanted to do. And I wanted to um, solidify, you know, that I'm here in this thing, this craft that we call poetry, and I'm going to be here for the foreseeable future. And also I wanted to be able to, you know, galvanize people into action. And I also wanted to be able to get into the hands of trans people and black people and black trans people, um, who needs to see themselves reflected in literature. Um, so much of literature right now does not um, market, does not see those people as readers, which is an issue. So yeah, that's what it's been like. Um, and then with the memoir, um, Pretty. So it's actually like, interestingly enough, like gonna be one of the only memoirs out there about trans masculinity. And one of the, I'm pretty sure the only book about black trans masculinity. So I write, I'm writing a bit, uh, veering a bit into nonfiction as I have been for the past like two years and bringing poetic sensibilities to nonfiction in order to like write about what it, what it's like. I don't know, to be like black and trans and uh, embodying masculinity and trying to learn what masculinity is. Um, Cause it's like a very, like as soon as you like, as soon as a person gets an ultrasound and they say like it's a girl or it's a boy, like the socialization of gender starts, right? Gender is so like ingrained and like embedded into like who we are as beings that it takes, you know, it can take for some people a lifetime to like unlearn some of those things. And some of those things I find are like not very helpful, like seeing masculine people and men as like these, you know, emotionless people. And also uh, seeing everything that's not men as something to like uh, exert power over. 
you know, and I think that um, talking in this memoir about seeing those things and the instances in which I saw those things and the instances in which I think that other trans people um, gave me more possibility um, and uh, the times in which I like saw healthy masculinity be exhibited um, for me and to talk about like how we even um, reinforce those things through culture like music and like TV and like movies um, and the things that even though people like to say that they don't inspire like how we act, they very much do. You know, the kids that are watching Euphoria are now doing hard ass drugs. Like it just is <laughs> happening, right? Even if we say it's not happening, um, people buy things based on what they see on TV. People buy things based on what they listen to. I mean, people were not, you know, I don't think buying, you know, Chanel bags in influx until like, you know, very popular girls started rapping about it in songs. It just like kind of is what it is. And I, I want to talk about that. And I talk a bit and mesh cultural criticism a bit into uh, this book because it does, you know, it has impacted me and it does impact, I think, how men see themselves, um, like how men, you know, flaunt women and flaunt money as like things to be desired and, and flaunt like the the fraught kind of, the fraught kind of depictions of like brotherhood and like what that means. And like, we've been talking about mental health, like where the mental health, you know, kind of conventions for, or uh, where the spaces where uh, black men or black masculine people can like truly be themselves. Right. Um, and the socialization of masculinity can be very violent. Right. And like, I think someone tweeted once like, Oh, trans guys or like if you put like a uh, teen girl trauma into like a grown man. And I find that to be very interesting because <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's kind of true. And I want to write about it. Right. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's a bit on that book. But I mean, I'm still kind of editing it and still kind of writing it. So we'll see what the finished product looks like. Yeah. Wow. You talk about your work in such an eloquent way that it is like so it's like almost visceral that I'm just like I'm so excited to read this book and like I think it's something like I think you're absolutely right it's just like not a conversation that happens um often and like does it does it feel intimidating to to be writing a book like that when there's so little out there in terms of memoir from that perspective mm -hmm. I mean, there are definitely like a litany of black men who have written memoirs. So I at least like have that to look to. And I have like comparable things like Stone Butch Blues to look to. Right. Um, so it feels like it's like, I mean, in every new book is like, I'm writing about something that's already been written about, but I'm like putting my own unique spin on it. So that's how right, I, it's in conversation. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like a book out of nowhere. And like, I find it to be very fraught when people talk about their books as if it's like, this is the one book. I'm like, no, there are like millions, billions at this point of books out there. So there's a book that's probably similar to yours. And I like to talk about my books in like relation to books that already exist. Like, uh, I think, you know, for instance, like Freedom House, I think needed Don't Call Us Did by Danette Smith in order to like, in order for it to like be birthed. Like that's a book that I feel like is in its lineage. 
um, a book that is in Pretty's lineage, I think is like Heavy by Kiese Lehman, which is a book that talks a lot about like masculinity and black masculinity in the South. So it's like they're in conversation, but it is different Um, because it is like, I think people talk about masculinity and have historically talked about masculinity from a very cis perspective. So I'm interested to see how it's received and and interested to see how Freedom House even is received. But yeah. I'm excited to read both of them. I pre-ordered Freedom House, so everyone else should too. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate you. Yeah, of course. Yeah, we've just been like we've been approaching this this podcast with kind of a specific kind of framework in some ways. Uh, our first episode kind of digs deeper into this, but um, Ellie, I'm curious if you want to kind of expand expand more on that and um, bring us home. Yeah. So so the framework that we've been exploring is that everything we do either kind of comes from a place of either connection or fear, which I feel like we've already like really honed in on during this conversation. And I feel like, yeah, you've already like talked a little bit about this, but like, how do you try to operate from a place of connection in your relationships And when you feel yourself operating out of fear, which can sometimes look like anger, and you talked about this a little bit, how do you ground yourself back into connection um, when you're not coming from a place that, you know, even like you talked about this with poetry, that feels authentic, that feels true, if something doesn't feel like yourself? Um, Yeah. How, How do you, what do you do in your life to operate from a place of connection in your relationships and, and in your community. And even in yourself too, because something I think that's important yeah. is like, how do you like, you know, feel, yeah, feeling in connection with yourself as well. Yeah. Um, this was like a question for a very like evolved person. Like I don't have any of the answers really, <gasps> um, but I mean, I can tell you what's hap- what's helped in some moments. I mean, to stay connected to myself, I'm a very like non-woo-woo person, but I do think like some kind of things that I've learned through meditation help, like body scanning. Like, what am I feeling in my body right now? Um, what is going on in my head? What is going on, you know, in my chest? What is going on in my legs? Like being able to like take a minute, five minutes even, um, to just scan my body and see because I think that, you know, things like fear, things like anger, things like, you know, sadness, they manifest in our like physical body and being able to like take a minute and notice those, I think is very useful for me. Um, things like yoga, right. Um, and having a practice where in which I can like literally, I mean, it's, it feels like a hard workout sometimes. So sometimes I'm like, no, um, but like having a practice in which I can like move my body and remind my body that it can do the things um, that yoga acts of it, I think is useful. And with staying in connection with people, I think, you know, literally as soon as I think about somebody, I try to like reach out and be like, hey, thought about you today. Like, how are you doing? Um, And not let those thoughts just be fleeting thoughts Um, because, you know, life is so short and because you never really know what, like reminding myself that like I'm not the center of the universe. I'm not the main character in a TV show. <laughs> like other people have other things going on. Um, so before 
slipping into or letting a thought of somebody be a fleeting thought, like just reaching out and being like, hey, thought of you. Um, You never really know like how much people need that when you do it, right? Um, And also, you know, in moments of conflict and moments of discord, being like, you know, it's not you versus me. It's like you and me versus whatever it is that we've reached, like whatever impasse that we've reached um, and engaging with someone like that's the case. Like, not like I have to prove my point, but like, I just want to get closer to you, um, I think is a way that I try to operate from connection. And also on a like large scale political standpoint, you know, I'm just never going to be out here like, talking, um, arguing with trolls in like comments. I'm more of a like, if we really do fundamentally have the same beliefs, how do I get you to uh, move farther left? Like, how do I get you to understand that like investing in cops is something that we've done for centuries and it's just not going to work? Like, I feel more patience to do things like that than I do to like you know, get someone from the all the way opposite side who's like committed to misunderstanding me like onto my side. So I try to I try to like engage in those conversations when I have like the space to as well, because um, it's about connection. You know, we have more in common with each other than we think that we do, you know, um, and just trying to keep hope also, I think, is a way in which to stay connected because we can't get very I think that it's very easy to get apathetic or disillusioned. And then that like impacts the way that you're connecting like one-on-one, the way that you're connecting with yourself and the way that you're connecting with the world. Cause if you feel like the world is something like out of your control, then it's like easy to like dissociate your way through life. And, you know, I've been there and I've done that before, but I'm like, I know that I'm not my best self when I'm doing that. So keeping hope in the fact that, these circumstances are not always going to be the case. Um, And keeping hope in that, like, if me and this one friend are not seeing eye to eye right now, like, that's not to say that it won't happen in the future. Um, And keeping hope that, like, even if I, you know, fall off of my workout schedule today, I can get back on it tomorrow. Things like that. I love that so much. I think that's like a much needed reminder that even I needed to hear today. Um, this has been such a rich conversation. Um, yeah, I wonder if you could share where we can, where where listeners can can find you, um, how they can support you, and uh, yeah, any any last thoughts that you may have. For sure, for sure. So um, on any social media app, I'm Earth Two KB. E-A-R-T-H-T-O-K-B. Um, that's Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Um, really fuck Mark Zuckerberg. I'm just not about to do that. <laughs> I really got to get off Facebook. And I also feel like I don't know enough about LinkedIn. So Twitter. You are always on LinkedIn. You are like, you are a LinkedIn influencer, I feel like. <laughs> wow. Like, this is like, shocking to hear. Every time I open LinkedIn, KB has posted something new and I'm like, go off. I love this. Like, this is the best. <laughs> I like never use LinkedIn. Incredible. <laughs> Like, little do you know, all those posts are, like, just me throwing things at a wall to see what sticks. I don't know what works on there. But please follow me. 
You search Earth to KB on LinkedIn. You can also get there on me, but I feel like I use it like a promo machine. So it may not Connect with them. We're not just creating community networks. We're creating professional networks. I'm going to add you to my professional network. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And then also like if you're interested in Freedom House, you know, you can order that anywhere you get books. Um, I prefer that you order it with uh, your local independent bookstore or through the publisher themselves, which is the Vellum. Um, actually, currently right now, there's a 20% off code. If you use code READMORE, um, you can get 20% off for your copy of Freedom House. But it's out officially June 6th. If you want it at your door on June 6th, go buy it right now from the Vellum. Uh, well, thank you so much for talking with us. Ellie, do you have any any last words? Go support KB and go add KB on LinkedIn. <laughs> exactly that. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode. You can find us on feelingsuitpod.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at feelingsuitpod. You can also support us on Patreon by going to our website. We really appreciate your support. You can find me, Sam Slupski, on Instagram at theyaresam, on Twitter at Celery Sliced, and on TikTok at Sam, double underscore ham. I have a lot of handles. We deal with it. We do deal with it. And you can find me, Ellie Bell, wherever you can find people on the internet, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, at literally. It's like literally, but with my name, E-L-L-Y. Um, and uh, the Feeling Soup theme song was uh, written by me, Ellie Bell, and Mal Blum, and performed by Mal Blum. And the logo uh, and our art was created by Sarah Day, who you can find at Sarah Day Arts. Thanks so much for listening.